I think it's really scary that we're recording an episode about government and healthcare. Yeah. This could be our launching platform for public office. Yes, it it could very well be. Or it could be a great way to alienate ourselves from the base. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. No one ever listens again after today. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And welcome back episode 75 uh after a repeat last week or a partial repeat we did record just a little bit up front but a partial uh repeat last week chris and i are back live chris how's it going pretty good i almost wanted to start that show by saying and we're back exactly exactly (laughs) you know funny enough though got a lot of really great feedback on that episode so i think we Mm -hmm. have some new newer new ish or new since episode 22 listeners, I should say. So that was good. That, that was actually a really good episode. So it was on, on mm-hmm. measurement and ROI. So if you, if you missed that, go back and take a listen. Uh, really great, uh, really great episode. Uh, but it does kind of bring to mind the, the idea that, you know, this is episode 75. So we've got quite a few uh, pieces of content uh, in the archives. And if there's something you want us to revisit uh, or even kind of refresh slash rerun, you know, we'll, we'll go mm-hmm. back and kind of spruce some of that up or maybe add a new expert interview or something like that to something we've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something you'd like us to, to revisit. But today we're going to talk a little bit about government relations. Uh, but before we do, maybe let's uh, thank one of our sponsors. You know, read today, patient expectations are the same as consumer expectations. And what that means is they want it all. They want everything. From convenience to transparency. That's why from the moment a patient decides they need care, Loyal's Intelligent Healthcare-specific platform is their trusted companion, empowering all their search and guiding their online journey. Loyal solutions amplify the feedback you're receiving and provide answers to the questions your patients are asking. Partnering with uh, the nation's leading health systems, Loyal helps deliver a simple smarter digital patient experience. So to learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Of course, tell them we sent you uh, Mm -hmm. loyalhealth.com. So government relations may kind of throw you off a little bit because that's not marketing (laughs) nor communications. I guess it is technically communication. So we're going to get into this a little bit today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some interesting thoughts on this and would love love your feedback. Uh, however you normally connect with us, LinkedIn, email, uh, Twitter, whatever whatever that may be. Love your thoughts on this. Um, and we've got a great interview coming up here in a little bit as well. I found an article called The Rise of the Hospital Government Relations Strategist. Now this this article is a couple of years old at this point, uh, but you mm-hmm. can check them out over in GerardInc.com. Uh, Maggie Curtis wrote this uh, a couple of years ago, and it's really an article that goes through on why you should 
uh, if you don't already have one, create a government relations department and why you should be investing in that and kind of, you know, the reasons for that. And so she outlines some reasons or some uncomfortable, as she calls it, uncomfortable realities up at the front of the article. And so we're going to touch on those in a minute mm-hmm. and maybe how marketing communications can support the effort in combating these realities is maybe the best way to say it. Yeah, that might be a good way to say it. I was wondering too, you know, when you first brought this up, I was like, hey, hold on a second, Reed. We are a digital marketing and communications podcast. Why are we talking about government relations? How does what we do impact the government relations efforts that, you know, our organizations do. I mean, quite frankly, that's not an area that I spend a lot of time in. And, and most people don't, right? Or, you know, when you do think of it, and this is what came to mind, I started thinking about, okay, government relations, technically, you know, that, that term, what does that make me think of? Well, marketing is completely out of the picture, but there is this communications piece, but typically the way at least I think of it in recent history has been, I can think of one, two, at least three healthcare systems in the last year that have gotten into a public dispute, if you will, uh, because of the expiration of, and I think all three cases, a Blue Cross Blue Shield contract. It's a lot of finger pointing. You see, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield is saying the hospital won't negotiate with us. Therefore, people that have our product, you now can't go to their hospital. Then the hospital says, no, no, no. It's, it's Blue Cross's fault uh, that you don't, you can't come here. That's in my mind where marketing and communications has come into this equation in recent years. Right. And even though Blue Cross Blue Shield is like a private payer, so to speak, the impact of that does have a, a dramatic in, uh, influence on the government aspect of what we do. Because really, it's, it's not just about insurance coverage. It's really about negotiating better rates and how does that work mm-hmm with government influence and policy and even, frankly, Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements for that organization. I was working with an organization once, Reed. The marketing and communications lead of that organization actually started to map out all these different audiences that are important. And they really kind of blocked it out into some, you know, into these five areas. And maybe I thought it might be good for us to talk about those and, and frame our minds around this because government relations is impacted by what we do. So the first segment is obviously the consumer, right? The patients and the health seekers and all those people, you know, and the, the family members and things like that. The second audience are employees, people that work for the organization. So that's a strong audience for them. You know, even healthcare professionals are there. They also have an audience they defined as being those community organizations that they're partner with. And so that's like sort of a more of a collaborative partnership kind of approach I do. They identified another audience for their B2B activities, corporate is a very important part mm-hmm. of the, the mm-hmm. work that they were doing. But then the very last audience they identified was called the constituent audience. And they defined it as people and entities that care about influence or impact the healthcare organization through governance, policy, licensure, accreditation, regulation, and or their ability to influence public opinion. That's interesting. And so that's really who we're talking about today. In some respect, this is a segmentation discussion or a persona discussion or kind of whatever you can kind of however you want to frame that or maybe all the above. But what they lay out, you know, those examples of the constituents are everybody from like your governing board. So it could be your hospital board of directors, could be an advisory council, you know, that kind of thing. 
uh, regional boards, again, depending on how your organization is structured, could be foundations. Uh, and then you have the accreditation bodies, right? JCO, the Department of Health. Um, you know, there's others in there, I'm sure, like for the lab, for example, in some different places. Then you have the people, if you're, especially if you're publicly traded, uh, the people that uh, talk about you. So Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, other rating agencies, city and government officials, uh, state level, national level, uh, even. Mm-hmm. And then depending on, again, what part of the country you're in, you may have unions, uh, potentially, you know, kind of all that falls into this category. So all of a sudden you, you, you went from going, you know, I, I don't know, government relations, I'm not sure that really impacts me. So you rattle all those folks off and you go, oh, wait a minute. We talk about those people all the time. In a big way, right? So as you go back to your examples of the Blue Cross Blue Shield battles, I mean, that really falls into this category because really what you're doing is you're influencing sort of that public opinion or the public perception that your your community has about your organization. Right. And I think all too often we're only concerned, uh, maybe that's a little strong, but we're, we're a lot of times concerned with growth. Right. So what we're trying to do is find new patients, you know, find new people that are going to use our services, uh, especially as a marketing department. Communications, maybe, you know, you've got the community relations, the sponsorships, the you know organizations you're involved with in the community, those types of things. Let's jump back over to this article. And I think I think this is interesting. We can talk through these because uh, this, I think, will kind of help open your eyes a little bit to maybe, you know what, there there are some ways that, that we should be participating in these conversations at the very least, and maybe even more so there's, you know, some of this we probably should be taking more of an active role in. So again, the article is not written for like how we're going to talk about it, but she does outline at the beginning, like I said, um, some uncomfortable hospital realities. And so the first one is uh, repeatedly getting hit by reimbursement cuts. We all know, you know, we get paid by, by reimbursement and some, you know, negotiated rates and this, that, and the other. So is the margins get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, then what are we to do as marketing and communication professionals? We're really trying to attract a preferable payer mix, so to speak. What we do with our marketing efforts is we're trying to draw in people that are insured and have them come in to seek out services that potentially may be a little bit more consumer choice where they have the ability to make a choice between one hospital system or the other. So we, we have to be more efficient at what we do. And again, that goes back to last week when we were talking about ROI and measurement. The more critical we become of ourselves around those topics, uh, the more opportunity we have to impact uh, in a positive manner the organization who is in turn going through reimbursement cuts. Trying to be more uh, cost effective with the work that we're doing, trying to drive down costs. And really, all of those things combined together allows us to really impact that bottom line, the overall margin that your organization will have, at least in part, right? Let's not, we're not going to overlook the, org- the operational costs and you need to minimize those costs as well. But from a marketing perspective, you're really going to be focusing on that type of work. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, are we talking about cutting travel? No, but I mean, are there better ways to do your job more efficiently? Uh, do we have redundancy in the technologies that we're licensing? Um, you know, things like that that could have 
uh, a multiplier effect over the, you know, we're paying X amount of cost every month for these things. And, you know, so anyway, there, there's some things we can do there from a cost saving standpoint. And then like you're talking about from a growth standpoint, you know, working with the organization and making sure we aligned with what the priorities are and, and that we're pushing that. The second piece here we've got is uh, unable to influence critical legislative and or regulatory issues. This sounds yeah, to me a lot like a advocacy, right? This is like trying to drive some advocacy efforts. You know, again, this will go and, in, in, you know, maybe we'll tease the interview that's coming up here in a little bit with uh, Lance Lunter from the Texas Hospital Association. But the idea that, you know, advocacy is not just for the government relations department. You know, advocacy is something that communications needs to you know, own and push throughout the organization. So can we help in the influencing around, you know, regulatory or or legislative issues? Possibly. And some of that comes through educating the community and even our own employees at times. So internal communications, for example. I remember a read, I worked for a health system where we had to actually shift the services in a particular facility to be more of an ambulatory surgery center, like kind of decommission a full full standing hospital. And that had a dramatic impact on that local community, right? The community itself felt that what we were doing is trying to pull the pull the rug out from underneath of them. And really what it was, we were doing it to be more cost effective. We were doing it to be to provide the right services because a lot of those services were no longer needed in that in that community. And we offered um, other alternatives that were not disruptive. Now, as I'm describing this, right, I, I bet there's a lot of listeners that have undergone this themselves in their own hospital settings. Well, advocacy was a big part of what we had to do, and that was driven by our communications department to hold public forums, conduct a lot of transparency around what we're doing and the decisions we're making so that the community itself could understand that. That bleeds into kind of their next bullet point here, which is the unsuccess, uh, unsuccessful and certificate of need attempts. So whether that is your own CON or opposing others, right? And so some of what you're talking about is the need for care in certain areas, which that's really kind of this idea of the certificate of need. The more that you can, uh, you know, have those conversations and explain that uh, and be part of that conversation, uh, I think is is always good. Now, so, some states they don't have you know CON, and, and that's okay. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's still in the same vein as why are we doing this where we're doing it or we're not doing this or we're closing this mm-hmm. service or whatever it may be. And partnering with communications in that effort can really help to, first of all, clarify the messaging to that audiences, but also maybe address other audiences that communication regularly deals with the media, internal audiences, helping your employees understand why these decisions are being made. All of these things are, are become important. And the communications department really has that expertise to understand how to best engage those audiences. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. 
If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. So another one they've got here listed, which I think is interesting, and, I, and I'd love to get kind of your thoughts on this. But, you know, and again, these are uh, uncomfortable realities. Okay. So the next one would be uh, that there's not a significant external champion willing to speak up on your behalf. Like, what does that mean to you? Well, it could mean a number of things. Possibly uh, high influencers, what, what in, from a foundation perspective, they used to call the top leaves, right? Instead of the grassroots, like kind of the top yeah. leaves, the people that are very influential in the community that are, are, you know, more often than not, they're politically aligned, but they could also be major investors in the community, major business owners in the community, private industry people that are have a huge influence running those social circles that actually where, you know, the movers and shakers, where those ideas are being made. So do you think communications then can impact that idea around earned media? Absolutely. So, I mean, is that, is that a place that we can help fill a gap? You know, and I, I don't right. know, I haven't, I haven't really thought this all the way through, honestly, but, you know, I know a lot of hospitals and many that I work with have a very concerted, a, a very big concerted effort around uh, gaining, you know, media coverage. And I think you can, in the right way over time, then turn those media members into external champions, potentially. Another one could be board members, right? Um, people that are on your board that actually have some of that influence too. And similar to how we see communications professionals or communication teams working with um, developing CEO uh, or C-suite Outreach, kind of helping to groom them, helping to shift shift the way they actually engage and interact with the media or engage and interact at, in public settings. And communications can also, you know, be utilized to help basically groom these external champions to become great advocates for your organization and your brand. That that is a good thought. I, I can I can certainly see this in again. I, you know, I kind of drive this back to Texas a, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but. If I think about some of the smaller communities in West Texas, I mean, obviously people have looked at a map. Texas is relatively large, geographically speaking, right? And so as you move out west or you get out of the big metropolitan areas, there's a lot of real estate between these towns. And so a lot of times you're kind of out on an island. A lot of the organizations are even uh, taxing authorities, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having board members that are super influential in that community um, they typically don't have a lot of healthcare experience, but they're, they're, they would be willing to champion a cause. And if you have a foundation, then obviously that's a nice tie-in as well. But um, you know, these are folks that have been around and been influential in these towns for a super long time, typically speaking. That's a great place to be. So and I think that's something that communication specifically can, can help own and drive Here's another interesting one, and I've seen this a number of times. And so, I mean, tell me how often you've seen this, right? So you, mm-hmm. you go to a, a decent sized market, but there's not a, not a ton of hospital players. Maybe it's kind of a 50-50 split. There's two primary systems in town, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is seen as the savior in the community. So it's, it's typically you got the for-profit system over here and the not-for-profit system over here. And the for-profit system is just worried about making money. 
and the the not for profit system is clearly the one taking care of all the needy and you know that kind of thing, right? I mean that's that's the perception people have in a lot of cases. I, I can tell you, and I can tell you, I won't necessarily because I don't want to call people out specifically, <laughs> but there is one particular one that I have in mind that that is like literally the exact opposite of what actually happened. In many cases, it could be, yeah. It's weird, right? Because, I mean, a lot of times these for-profit systems give so much money back to the community and provide so much in uncompensated or charity care, yet they just don't have the quote-unquote foundation. So there's no galas and fundraisers and these types of things. So from a perception standpoint, the not-for-profit is the one doing the good. Right. Or at least, yeah, I mean, and I'm cluing in on the word perception there, Reed, because I think that's an important thing. And whenever you talk about perception, we'd be remiss not to talk about what in marketing and branding, what we call, you know, the net promoter score. What is the perception in your community that you are not only the organization which to refer care to, but, you know, your brand has that equity within the community. Yeah, you're the community partner. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so they're squarely, when we're talking about the competitor is seen as the savior in the community and you aren't, you got a branding problem. And who better to call in for a branding problem than your branding marketing specialist, right? To kind of help you kind of shift that brand perception. And And that is... That's it's not simple. It's a very complex thing to do. That involves um, branding work. That involves communication work. That involves really basically developing an approach to engaging multiple audiences in your market to start to shift the brand perception and really start to communicate those good things that your organization may be doing for that community. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, just community relations in general. Right. So again, we go back, we talked about earned media a minute ago. So the more times people see you doing good things, that's obviously positive. But now if you have a true community relations strategy where you're, you're involving yourself in the community and and don't get me wrong, if you're doing this solely to try to improve perception, it's not going to work. Right. I mean, this has to be something uh, culturally or inherent about your organization that you do want to make the community better. Like you, you can't you can't fool people indefinitely. You, you've got to be able to talk about the good things that you're doing. Um, and, and in some case, this is where, you know, again, we go back to board members. We go back to, you know, people that are in the community. You know, you've got your, mm-hmm. maybe your employer wellness folks or your outreach folks and things like that. Um, that can really help spread spread the news. As simple as it sounds, and and maybe as it, it seems a little thin or not terribly impactful, but sponsorships do make a difference. You know, so being involved, not you know, not only having people come to you, but you go to them, right? So you're you're you know you're you're sponsoring you know health related events in town or, or children related you know the the local you know children's theater just getting involved on different boards and organizations and reciprocating some of that volunteer time uh, is big. It could be something very simple too. Like uh, I know a local health system that showed up at the farmers market and uh, they sponsored yoga classes. And just that very thing, you know, free yoga classes, that very act just shows that they're looking at the community a little bit differently and they want to engage in that community. And, uh, you know, again, what's the overhead of that? You know, these little things could really go a long way if you think about it. But of course, to what you said, Reed, it has to be genuine. 
right? It, you can't just do it for the sake of trying to shift, right. you know, your reputation. You really have to genuinely be serving that community. But in a lot of times, the perception is off because you really are. There's so much that even for-profit health systems are giving back to the community. Well, I think if you can get to that place, right, if you can get to the place that people see you as the authority, then when you come out and you advocate about something that they don't know much about or have not given much thought to, then you're in a very different place, right? So going back Mm -hmm. to Texas, you go to the 1115 Medicare waiver, you start talking about that or or you start having the discussions publicly about how, you know, Blue Cross coverage is ending on this date and here's mm-hmm. why and some of those types of things. You know, you're going to be seen differently in those those issues in those conversations, whether it's by the media that's interviewing you, by the, you know, the public that's watching, the physicians that refer, the employees that come to work there. It doesn't matter. Those all get impacted by that, right? They do. And an important part of this, you know, not to get too tactical, but, you know, when you look at, at engaging in sort of a government outreach or an outreach in any kind of capacity uh, related to some kind of the larger government entities that we were talking about, the government relations, understanding your, your messaging, um, understanding what you're trying to say, being very clear about the goals that you're, of what you're trying to communicate here helps tremendously. There's, there's a tendency, and this could be because, you know, government relations people are not necessarily communications experts, to be a little bit vague and, and general about, you know, the, some of their goals. If you could start to shift your strategy to be a little bit more specific you could very clearly start to give focal points about how you're going to kind of help shift those goals. That's one of their last points here is that the government relations department's goals are not tied to your organization's business goals. So ultimately, or at the end of the day, that's probably a bigger issue uh, that people over my pay grade would probably need to sort out. But but here's some of my initial thoughts on that is... Um, you know, government relations goals, you could take a lot of the messaging, the branding, you know, all the things that we've talked about and try to then work alongside your GR team to you know, help aid them in the messaging that they're needing when they're reaching out there to the state house or you know, nationally or whatever it may be. At least that's that's my opinion there. I, I don't know that marketing communications is going to get in the crossfire of trying to align goals necessarily, because I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly our, our place, but I, I think we've got you know content that would help and expertise that would help bring those closer together, potentially, or find common ground. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, if your government relations goals are not tied to your organization's business goals, you might want to reconsider your government relations goals. Whether we like it or not, health systems today have to start to influence those government entities. That's what we have to do now. So, okay. So I, I feel better about this, honestly, after kind of going through this list, I, I feel sure. like, um, I feel like, you know, when, when we first were thinking about or first talking about this idea of like government relations and marketing communications, I was like, uh, okay. You know, I've, I've worked at the Texas Hospital Association, you know, uh, albeit not in, not as a lobbyist by any means, but was at least around conversations, you know, and then obviously work with them now on, on a fair amount of projects. And so I was thinking, you know, man, I, 
I'm struggling a little bit with how these things mesh, right? And so, you know, just looking through that, I think, okay, well, now I'm distilling this down to real ideas, you know, in concepts of what, you know, quite honestly, we're already having conversations around. We need to be more efficient as a marketing department, and we need to be better with analytics and measurement and ROI. Now, did I originally come to that conclusion or that thought because I thought, oh, you know, reimbursement's being cut? No. Probably not. It was just, we need to be better at this, you know, kind of a deal. But now I'm starting to realize, okay, well, this is how it extends into the organization. And, and this is just the government uh, relations kind of impact of that. And just stay tuned for the interview coming up too, because Lance and you get really deep into this and, and really take it to a whole nother level and we'll learn a lot more. You know, he's got some interesting thoughts on how this has evolved over the years and, you know, a takeaway of, of kind of what, what you can do next and how you can start this, uh, this dialogue within your organization. But first we get to argue. That's right. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, Reed. Well, um, before we get into that great interview coming up here, uh, this part of our show is the part where we face off. Earlier on, at the very beginning of this conversation around government relations, I listed out different audience types uh, that healthcare marketers kind of focus in on. And I started from the top down, right? The consumers, which is from, I would argue that for most hospitals and communicators, they tend to be the biggest audience that they focus their time on. The second is collegial or the internal audiences, right? Those like employees and the physician. I thought that was college. I thought we were just marketing to college kids. <laughs> and then the third audience type would be those community organizations that we partner with, right? Um, the, the fourth would be those B2B outreach efforts. And then the fifth would be the government relations. And deliberately, that was kind of the order of importance for that, for that health system that I was working with, mm-hmm. right? They kind mm-hmm. of listed it down that way. So I thought it might be good for us to argue you should the government aspect of this right the the one that's fifth on this list is that the appropriate ranking for that or should it be up higher so i think you know really i think you can make an argument that uh in the order that you just gave them uh two three and four um so our internal audience or kind of our internal stakeholders 
the community organizations and, and the corporate, you know, folks, th- those are kind of all like a one B, you know, kind of a deal in my, in my mind. I think really it comes down to, do you prioritize uh, your constituents or, or the consumers with your, with your efforts? You know, I, I honestly, I think, you know, you can make a case that the constituents are the bigger, it's the more impactful play over the long haul. Now, if you just want people in a bariatric seminar tomorrow, I totally get it. But mm-hmm. over the long haul, I think constituents is where, where you put your money. I can see how you, your convoluted logic got you to that point. But I have to say, Reed, I would I would argue with you that we we in a health system world, we cannot live in a world where we're only going after the long term play here. We have to worry about what's happening tomorrow and the next day. We have to worry about, you know, making sure that we hit our revenues for this year because, you know, no margin, no mission. Right. And so I think that, yes, constituents are important, but at the end of the day, the most important thing, if you had to prioritize them all, consumers get up to the top of the list and internal audiences are second. It's just that simple. And then, you know, government, unfortunately, has to go to the end. But it can't. I think we already prioritize the constituent audience. I mean, it's all about the dollar. So you look at Wall Street, you look at uh, the government and licensing authorities and things like that. They're the ones making the rules on how we get paid. Um, you know, they're making, you know, certain indications. Like you look at some States that, that can or cannot employ physicians directly. I, they're, they're building the model in which we have to participate inside of. Um, so they're, they're writing the rules. And so I think, you know, if you, if you get that part, right, then we've got the ability to then provide to all those other groups. We can't do it the other way around. It's kind of crazy. What it's almost like you're arguing that if you're a retail organization, that you know, the mom and pop bookstore down the street, that you have you should be marketing your efforts towards the you know national reserve because they basically throttle the way the the price of the dollar and how much it, impact it has. I mean, I get that it's important that you know if you become a big enough for-profit organization that you do have to do some kind of outreach to the constituent audience. But I mean, hospitals and health systems primarily have to focus on consumers and, and their internal audiences first. That's going to get you a much larger, longer term play. And by the way, if you get those people on your side, then the constituent stuff falls right in line. But I mean, half these hospitals, maybe more get paid by the constituent. I mean, that's where the money, the reimbursements are coming from. So, I mean, you know, what does it matter on the consumer side? I mean, no point marketing to the consumers when we're getting our money from the constituents. Let's get our money from the constituents and build those relationships and then provide for the consumer. The money comes to the, our organization because the amount of consumers that come to to us and then we get we seek reimbursement from the government. You've got to have your audience in order to claim those reimbursements that you're going to get back, that money that you're going to get back. Come on, Reed. I mean, cart before the horse here. Yeah, but a lot of these hospitals, all they have is the cart. <laughs> 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 so I, you know, okay. So it's it's in some respects, I'll be honest. I feel like it's a little chicken or egg. 
depending on the organization, right? You, you talk about a critical access facility, they don't even have a marketing apartment, much less are they trying to you know, get consumer. They are. No, don't get me wrong. I, there, there's always the need to try to reduce out migration for things that you can handle and handle appropriately uh, locally, right? Like you don't want people leaving your town to go have a baby somewhere else if you have the ability to provide uh, labor and delivery services with quality outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's, that, there's always that need and that messaging and that marketing around that. But to some degree, it's like, you know, they're getting paid by doing certain services. Again, I, I don't know. It's a little chicken or egg in my mind. Now, again, now you're, you, you mm-hmm. get these big specialized organizations, big, you know, especially cancer institutes and things like that. That's a whole different deal, I guess. And, yeah, when you're talking about, you know, these public hospitals or, or even, you know, if you think about VA hospitals can fit into this too, right? Because they are kind of uh, like a public hospital. There is a great majority of those in – in our larger landscape, yeah, it's true that going after the consumer makes sense if you're a nonprofit or a for-profit for that matter. But if what you do, the majority of the services you provide are serving a public need, then then the table certainly shifts. So I get that. I understand that. And, and you're right, Reed. I mean, we need to butter our bread on both sides in this one. Yeah, it's not an either or. You know, it's a uh, and on most all of these, I mean, quite honestly, all all five of these categories. Mm-hmm. But depending on your market, uh, the competitive landscape, you know, and what type of organization you are, then that's going to kind of order these for you. All right, we're back with the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And today, uh, fortunate to be um, joined once again, because you've been on before, but once again by Lance Lunsford from the Texas Hospital Association. How's it going? Hey, it's good, Reed. I appreciate it and enjoy the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those that are maybe new, Lance is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Strategic Communications for the Texas Hospital Association. THA, very quickly, is obviously the state-level advocacy organization here in Texas, like most states have. And uh, Lance heads up uh, all marketing and communication efforts uh, from the association. We're talking about government affairs, advocacy, all these types of things. I spend a short time and, of course, work with you guys on a fairly regular basis, and I'm still not sure that I completely can delineate what what we're talking about, but I do know that we don't, um, as marketing and communication professionals in hospitals, at least predominantly speaking, I don't hear a lot of talk about government affairs or advocacy. What, yeah. why, why is that? Why, why have we... Yeah, I guess sandbox to that over somewhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and having kind of a long interest in um, politics and government, you know, I'm in kind of a perfect role. I, I don't have the policy kind of nuance and depth that someone with a, a government and public policy development background has. But you know, working with teams that um, that that do understand the government relations and public policy development. Um, aspect of what the industry does and needs um, is is a big opportunity for Texas hospitals and, and the Texas Hospital Association because 
um, I kind of have that marketing, hospital marketing background and approach. So the reason I think that you don't really hear about it that much, though, is because, um, you know, healthcare, even for people that work in it, is so incredibly complex. And one of the goals of the, the Texas Hospital Association and what we work on here is to really make that make the all the needs of, of the industry much um, much more clear, clarify complex issues and distill them down into ways that our frontline staff can really understand them. And, and I don't think we're ever really going to be able to get, um, you know, certain aspects of, of, you know, the 1115 waiver in Texas and how supplemental payments work completely clarified in a way that, you know, someone who has an RN and has a very important job that they're very passionate about to where they can deliver that in succinct detail, you know, for a state legislator. But it is important that they understand, you know, how supplemental payments work, how they maintain um, their their employment because of the the high degree of of uncompensated care that the state has to to show that our state hospitals have to have to shoulder. So sure. The, the key is, is that, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I guess, you know, several, I guess 10 or 20 years ago, we kind of started to transition away from this term lobbyist and this idea that you needed a lobbyist to do, um, you know, to do the, the work of relating to the government officials uh, of what hospitals were needing. And, and so the term had this negative connotation. And so I think that there was this transition over to the word advocacy. And, and so they took their lobbying department or their government relations department and called it advocacy. And I think what that effectively did is it took the role of being a good advocate for the industry away from all of us as leaders. Um, really what, what it takes to move a legislator, though, is um, is an entire industry of leaders speaking up with one voice and 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 having that complement what we do at THA. Yeah, so I think that's interesting, and and I want to make sure we don't gloss over that because I'm I've never really honestly until you said it I've never thought about it this way, but I think what I'm hearing is and because in my mind and I think in a lot of people's minds when you hear advocacy. Uh, do you have an advocate strategy is kind of where they go, right? So it's like, how do we, how do we find people that like us and have them talk better about us and, you know, word of mouth and, you know, they kind of go down that path. What we're talking about though is, you know, uh, promoting or pushing the industry forward with a united front and, and voice and things like that, right? With right. amplifying what the needs are, et cetera, and, and what the wins are and what's going well and, you know, where the deficits are and things like that. And so when you look at that, should marketing and communications participate in government relations? Um, maybe not, maybe not, you know, strictly in that sense of the word, right? Like that's, you know, back to what a lobbyist is, for example, uh, or lobbying, you know. Uh, but when you talk about advocates or advocacy, I've always thought of those as the same thing. Government affairs and advocacy was just kind of this one yeah. you know, department. But what you're saying is, is, is really advocacy is, is everyone's job and, and probably should be a large portion, especially communication professionals roles. You right. Know, absolutely. And it's, a, it's an incredible challenge to, to do because I think the way a lot of us are set up, especially with marketing teams and depending on how your marketing team is set up, we have a couple of hospitals and hospital systems that aren't, that aren't like this, but in a couple of cases, 
that relationship between um, that marketing communications team and the GR team or the C-suite is siloed and it's not um, integrated very well. And so what you, with the hard part of that to make, make, make your communications team uh, integral in that, that role of, of uh, using their communication skill to successfully clarify the needs of uh, the GR team or the, the, yeah, the public policy needs through the GR team is to have kind of a, a flattening out of your organization. And so what I've been able to uh, help push here and it's kind of one of the, the, the ways I was brought into the team was to kind of start to, to integrate with the, the communications arm with the government relations arm. And um, that, that can be a, a challenge for sure. Um, but at the same time, um, if it's something that you invest in, um, you can get much more clarity out of your communications team on those complex issues. And, and this is a key time for it. And we missed a lot of opportunities between 2009 and, and I would say 2016 um, because of what was going on with the Affordable Care Act. You know, the entire country really devolved into this binary conversation of you're either for Obamacare or you're against Obamacare. And that was strictly what you needed uh, to know in terms of public policy and health care. I'm against Obamacare, but I am for the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there was nothing better than that that Jimmy Kimmel sketch. I mean, that was, you know, do you know how many public policy policy issues we could have applied that to? And that's what was so brilliant about that, that a man on the street because that that was really where we were in the narrative of the country, and that's definitely it's probably not much different now. Um, but where we really missed right. that opportunity is as in in healthcare was being able to provide that clarity uh, to to the community. And and as an example of that is um, something that sometimes I'm successful with, and sometimes I'm not. And it's something what's what I call the brother-in-law talk. You know, if you're in healthcare. Um, whether you are an RN on the front lines delivering care or whether you are, you know, in a suit every day going into work in the communications department at your hospital, you're, you're going to go to a family gathering and have a conversation with your brother-in-law. Um, and he's going to be like, hey, man, I know you're in healthcare. What do you think about Obamacare? And, yeah. and if you're not prepared to kind of have that conversation in a way that's engaging, you might be missing a significant opportunity to talk about what's actually the opportunities of the ACA and what are the challenges of the ACA. And, and the same goes now for anything that we're going to be dealing with. Um, you know, certainly in Texas, we're going to be dealing with trauma funding in the next legislative session, being able to have someone that depends, that works in the trauma, uh, in a trauma uh, hospital, whether it's level one or two or the three or four for that matter, being able to talk clearly about the needs of the trauma system in Texas to sustain it um, is, is going to be important. And, and being able to clarify that simply for that brother-in-law talk is going to be, uh, it's really one of the biggest missed opportunities this round. Where, where does the responsibility lie? You know, this probably leans towards the communications versus the marketing folks to, to some degree, obviously, right, with community relations, public affairs, you know, however they frame that depending on the system. 
but where where does the responsibility lie? I mean, do we do we have a responsibility as, as communication professionals to be educating who our our employees, the community, the government affairs team, or the people that are reaching out to the actual folks working in government? Um, I don't think we need to discount that necessarily. Uh, certainly not, because all those folks are people that are just from communities, yeah. right? It's not like they're. Um, you know, it's, it's the guy that, that was a rancher in, you know, West Texas somewhere or something like that. So maybe not to underestimate, you know, how we communicate that stuff to the public and how it may make it back to our elected officials, but where does kind of, what's the responsibility of the communications profession? You know, at first it it has to line up around your leadership to make it a priority. You know, if you're going to say that we are going to be good advocates in your, in our community, that really needs to almost be drawn out on paper uh, by your leadership. And, and I have two good examples of that. And the first one is, is um, you know, gl- uh, Glenn Robinson, the, the CEO at Baylor Scott and White Hillcrest in Waco. Um, you know, he talks openly about his role as a CEO being one that communicates directly with the public. And of course, he has a background. On, uh, I think his first job was in journalism. I think he was going to go into, mm. um, uh, I think he, he did... Um, television news. And, and so he, he is automatically is a great public speaker. He's a great face of his organization and he sees his role, um, as being someone that brings, brings that clarity out into his community very purposefully. Um, and it's, it's almost, you know, something he rolls into his job description. And, and so you can have that, you know, as you, as an individual saying, I'm going to make myself part of the face of healthcare in my community. And so it's going to be a part incumbent upon me to be very clear when I communicate with the public around what healthcare needs, what my hospital needs and uh, what our patients are showing up um, and needing. And the second example there would be, you know, here at THA, when I was hired in 2012, it was the the CEO and the head of our government relations team so that they really wanted someone that could kind of come in and bring that clarity, but embed themselves with our government relations team. And, um, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do to, to, to bring somebody in on the communications and speak that government relations and public policy message. And over time, you know, we've been able to really make that investment. Um, with people that understand how to do that communications um, work and that public policy work. And that, that does take a special team to put that all together and, and integrate it. Um, but ultimately, it has to have that buy-in at every level because not everybody has that vision for what it takes to get that um, integrated. Um, if you are just trying to say, here's our public policy positions, and then we're going to go tell our communications team to write something up about it, you're probably going to come away frustrated and, um, and not really knowing how to get that forward. Um, cause that can't be done in one meeting, you know, making your communications team or an aspect of your communications team, part of an overall agenda, um, is really what, what we talk about. Um, and then there are some hospital systems that are really successful at it in Texas. We see a lot of success out of Christus, um, and, um, Parkland, and I know there are others as well, but that's because their their communications team and their government relations team are closely entwined on a process that they go through to get uh, engagement from their communities. I'm, a, I'm maybe new to the hospital or maybe just I've been there a while and we haven't really had these conversations or I don't know where we stand, you know, as an organization on some of these things. But I feel like as a communications professional that we need to start looking at a strategy around how how to become you know, advocates for 
you know, the health of our communities and healthcare in general, you know, what, what are some of those initial things I can do? What, yeah. what should I be, what conversations, who should I befriend? Like, what, what, what do I do next? You know, the approach that I took when um, I was marketing director, and again, I knew a little bit of the political space, but I didn't know as much on the, the healthcare space. Um, but I immediately kind of latched on to uh, a couple of uh, key issues. And number one, realized that your hospital is a lot like your congressman and that, you know, everybody, everybody hates Congress, but loves their congressman. It's the same way in, in, with your hospital and that everybody um, is somewhat critical of healthcare, but um, they're pretty proud of their local hospitals. And a good example I have of that is, especially with our public hospitals that in many cases are uh, tax-bearing entities, they, they um, are a taxing authority. And so, they tend to draw public ire, especially, you know, when you have conservative talk radio and local markets. Um, when I was in Lubbock, we had an extremely conservative local uh, commentator who wanted to kind of be a, a Rush Limbaugh. Um, and he actually had a, a very long show that was extremely popular. And, and what I noticed one day was that he was talking about our hospital's burn center in a very prideful way of like, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but this is the only burn center of its caliber, but located <laughs> between Phoenix and Dallas. You know, he was, he knew all of these facts about our burn center, but man, his criticism of us as a, as a taxing authority was extreme. And it was, so wow. I, I decided to use that weight against itself. And so I went in and found the key information that I knew the public needed to know to kind of counter that thought. And that was that we collected $17 million and, tax revenue, but we've doled out $71 million in uncompensated care and, and uh, charity care. Mm. Um, and mm. I think when you start there, you get kind of the basis. So develop yourself a set of KPI for what you know are valuable to the community. And, and you don't have to get down into the um, nitty gritty of your community benefits report, but being able to get five factoids together uh, like that, I think are key. And, and the biggest one, I think, is your, your uncompensated care and your, your charity care. Um, that's something that I think needs to be at the top of your list when you're communicating, especially if you're a public hospital, that it is a taxing authority. Um, but you can really build out from there to talk about the good work that your, your hospital does. Um, and then talk about where you do really well, talk about places where you're struggling. So we know our rural hospitals right now are having a, a hard time. Um, and so what we really talk about, very few hospitals are actually going to close their doors completely. So when you make that threat, no one's really going to engage with it. It's going to fall on deaf ears, but they will, they do understand that you'll close it aspects of the business that you do. And we're starting to see that now, especially in our rural hospitals where they are shutting down right. labor and delivery. Um, and now some of our larger hospital systems are starting to talk about it. As those margins become very tight, people need to understand why and people want to understand why. And if you do not fill that gap with, if you do not fill that with your voice and your perspective, they will fill it with someone else's very wrong perspective. And so that right there should be motivation mm -hmm. enough to, to get out there. Again, just the idea that government relations and advocacy are not the same thing, uh, although we've kind of lumped that all together and that we need to start participating in that conversation uh, and be the, be the folks to maybe uh, kind of lead that charge or corral that within the organization. So that, that, That's exactly it. I think you hit the nail on the head. If, if you were looking, I guess if you were to boil it down, you would say that 
the role of of advocacy belongs to all of us and that we are all to be advocates as hosp- as leaders in our communities and in our hospitals. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you are going to head up any kind of relations to the government. <laughs> um, and that that is to right. be seated off right. to your your talented team who has um, those relationships developed, who have a very in-depth understanding of the policy issues. Um, but having a, you know, a, a I guess a, a peri- not necessarily a peripheral, but a, a good embrace for um, generally what your, you know, let's say uncompensated trauma care payments are uh, specific to your hospital, any kind of additional hospital Medicaid payments um, that you know are important that you want to make sure you're protecting. Having those kind of numbers by your hospital, I, I think, is an important start. And um and then just being able to talk in the community about where you you have narrower margins and where parts of your business um, are held up by by places that do really well. It's going back to KPIs, knowing your business, um, you know, just just getting in there and understanding what's happening. So that's awesome. Well, man, I, I appreciate it. Um, I think this is great information. We could obviously continue this conversation and probably will continue this conversation. But for those that would like to connect with you, uh, maybe continue the conversation themselves, what's what's the best way to do that? So I am on Twitter at Lance Lunsford and um, I'm on LinkedIn uh, also there. Um, that's the best way anybody can email me if they have any kind of ways that they want to get engaged, whether they're in the state of Texas or any, any other place, uh, nationally on, on how to engage. Um, and you can email me directly at, uh, L L U N S F O R D at T H A.org. That's L Lunsford at T H A.org. Awesome. Well, thanks. And, um, uh, I know we'll have you back on soon. I appreciate the insights. Thank you, Reed. All right, wrapping up episode 75. So we are three quarters of the way to 100. Uh, This has been an interesting one. This is one, quite honestly, uh, going into, I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to turn out. Uh, I mean, I knew we'd have a good conversation. And of course, uh, Lance is an awfully smart dude. And so I knew the interview would be good. But, you know, this is one of those things that, that quite honestly, I kind of learned as the episode went myself uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, how government affairs, government relations, advocacy, you know, however you want to frame that piece of your organization dovetails into marketing and communications. I had the same same reaction too, Reed. I was a little bit nervous going into it, but uh, about uh, maybe, you know, a little ways into it, I was like, oh, wait, there is really some something here that I can actually sink my teeth into. So I hope uh, people listening along felt that way too. Well, cool. We are uh, about halfway through the summer. Uh, I'm sure people are traveling on vacation, things like that, but certainly we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Check out the other shows over at touchpoint.health. If you have not some really great shows there, uh, depending on what you're interested in, I uh, would love your support and feedback there. Of course, subscribe, rate, review, uh, let people know what you think, uh, share it around the office, coworkers, friends, family, whoever. That would be much appreciated. Uh, and then uh, to wrap up, let's, uh, let's do a few recommendations. All right, Reed. Well, I came prepared with my recommendation today. I was thinking about this 
Um, mainly because, you know, when I came into this episode, I was feeling a little bit nervous and I needed something to make me feel a little bit better, a little bit more calm and relaxed. And whenever I, you know, have a, have a time where, you know, maybe feeling a little bit distracted, nervous, or, you know, just generally anxious about something, I actually reach for a book that has become sort of a mainstay for me. And it's a book I found a couple years ago. It's called 14,000 Things to Be Happy About. Wow. That's a lot of things to be happy about. There is a lot of things in this book to be happy about. I also use it for sometimes when you're doing brainstorming and when you want to come up with a new idea, you just try to think of something. So here's what I'm going to do, Reed. It's kind of a thick book here, but I'm just going to kind of flip over to a page here and tell you some of the things that you might want to feel happy about. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Yosemite National Park. A pound right in front of your house. That'd be nice. Yeah. What about Frito pie, chili, cheese, corn chips, and maybe salsa, sour cream, rice, and jalapenos? Hmm. I believe I have the sour cream, but otherwise I'm with you on that. Homemade Easter eggs. Yeah, that's nice. It's always a nice feeling. And then last, and again, not the least, because there's 14,000 of them, Jack in the Box music. Depends on who you ask. Could be super creepy for some folks. Uh, scare the crap out of <laughs> other folks. Um, I like it because it's funny to me to watch other people freak out when that thing happens. But anyways. you know, it's just full of just a list of things. It's a, it's a listicle on a magnitude order. Fourteen thousand things to be happy about. The Happy Book by Barbara Ann Kipper. Check it out. There you go. Uh, mine's a little different. Uh, ours are always different, but uh, mine. I'm I'm actually recommending a MIG wire welder today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a welder. So I, I'm recommending specifically the Hobart Handler 140 MIG wire welder. Really enjoy it. I've had it for a few months now. I've had a number of welders uh, and used a number of welders over the years, but it's good for smaller projects. It welds up to 24 gauge. Uh, our 24 gauge up to a quarter inch thick steel. Uh, it's kind of a plug and play. It uses a 110 outlet. I can move it around between different locations pretty easily. And uh, yeah, as a side recommendation, I have an auto darkening hood. It's amazing. It's a huge, huge help. So for anybody that uh, likes to weld, that's what I would recommend. It's the Hobart Handler 140. So the 120 just didn't cut it for you anymore? Uh, the 120, it's not, it's not, it's not a beefy enough machine, man. I mean, we, you know, you got to step it up a little bit. We got you know, quarter inch thick steel. And if, and if you've gone to 200, you've gone way too far. Well, once you get above the 140, then you got to have a 220 outlet and that becomes mm. problematic when you want to like move it around or take it places. Cause you can't always record, you know, can't, you can't rely on the fact that there's a 220 wherever you go. I agree with you, Reed. It's more useful to, for you to have a, a welder just ready to go whenever you might need it. You never know. I'd hate to I'd hate to need it and uh, not be able to plug it in somewhere. You know, I mean that's just it's one of my worst nightmares. <laughs> that's I'd to, awesome. I'd have to get I'd have to get somebody to unplug their dryer so I could plug in my welder. And so that's, <laughs> you never want to find yourself in that situation. <laughs> Actually, you know, we, I'm jesting with you a little bit, but Reed, you are a pretty, you're pretty accomplished um, uh, 
I, I wouldn't even call you a hobbyist. There is you. I you should recommend your uh, your Instagram account where it shows all the work that you do. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do that. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes if somebody really wants to go find it, and maybe I'll maybe I'll recommend that next time. So. Awesome. Well, good stuff, man. This has been a good episode. It's been a lot of fun and uh, certainly appreciate Lance coming back on with us uh, today and talking, uh, talking advocacy and government relations. So uh, again, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. We certainly appreciate the support. Touchpoint.health is the website. He's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.